0: Okay, so Ethan, if you were to think of a day, a week, a a month, and you were to be given a hundred units, it could be a hundred hours, could be a hundred minutes, could be a hundred seconds of time to work on photography. So are you going to, how many of that hundred units are you, you going to be spending on building how many of it are you going to be spending on shooting and how many and developing and all that type of stuff? So I, I really want to hear what that separation is between the the building and the um, and the shooting. And this is ideal. You don't have anything, any um, uh, orders to fill or anything like that.
1: Um, yeah, so this is kind of an everyday problem for me, right? Um, generally I wind up shooting things like, I don't know, uh, 10 rolls of, uh, the farthest lamp post on my street corner to check for (laughs) calibration or, um, I've most recently been, uh, shooting some eight by 10, uh, positives to test out, uh, small prototypes of large, uh, other other equipment but I don't really get to shoot so much that I am interested in once in a while you know uh usually when I'm on vacation because I'm forced to be away from my shop and so I'll take some more photos that I will take then months to develop um but you know in a, in an ideal world maybe I would uh, I, I don't know I I enjoy camera building maybe even more than I enjoy taking pictures these days so um, yeah, hard hard to say. I probably spend like eighty or ninety percent of the time building cameras.
0: <laughs> okay, and is that your ideal situation? Is that your is that the the most um, uh, the best balance for your psyche?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you be the judge of my psyche, but uh, well, uh, yeah, I yeah, I like so. it. I I like it as is. Right, I get up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I walk into my backyard shop. And I build cameras so no no complaints
0: <laughs> okay, okay, uh Brandon, what do you think if you were to be given a hundred units of time, how many of those units would be shooting? How many of those units would be building, creating conceptualizing your next camera build Brandon so what what do you think in that situation are if you were to have a hundred units of time, hours, minutes? days how much of that are you going to be devoting to a build or a concept on your next build and how much of that are you going to devote to out to shooting using those cameras that you're building or using other cameras it doesn't have to be homemade cameras or or shop made cameras um
2: yeah it's a good question i think about that a lot um it, it really depends on the specific camera i mean some cameras that i make I'll maybe spend a day or two building them or gathering the materials, maybe it takes a bit of time before. Uh, and then, I mean, I, sometimes I just literally, t- I always test them, I always make sure they work various different things, whether it's Polaroid or positive paper or film. Um, so quite often I'll it'll be like 95% making and conceiving and then like, I'll just shoot a picture and oh it works brilliant and then and then i kind of move on to the next one some of the other cameras bigger cameras i I will be a lot more involved with the shooting afterwards okay so oh go ahead i was gonna say yeah about 90
0: 95 for some and about 50 50 on others okay so um now if you are building a camera and this gets a a little bit ahead of our game but i uh, i think it's part of this question Um, if you are building a camera how much of building that camera is envisioning the photographs that it's going to be taken and how much of it is just oh my god I have 16 by 20 inch paper let's use it
2: (laughs) um yeah a little bit of both I think I've I've got various sort of stocks of film and paper that I've picked up over the years and I think oh god I've got loads of old Polaroid that's going off so i should probably right. make something with that or um i've currently got a massive stock of um roll huge rolls of, of Ilford paper um that that needs using up under my stairs and part of my studio and various places are filled with that so i'm definitely conceiving some some bigger projects coming up to use that stuff up for sure
0: uh how
1: about you graham
0: well okay so that's part of uh, the reason why i came up with this question um was the idea that uh, i you know i i have a limited amount of time i i've i've used uh for the last couple of months the idea that i have about three hours i get about three hours a week um that i can uh devote to one part of photography or another um that that's not necessarily always true i mean since i I do a lot of 3D printed cameras. I can I can skip off for 15 minutes and do um, some design, uh, you know, on my computer, and and then you know I don't have to dust myself off. I can go back to class or or, or whatever I have to do. Um, but this coming semester uh, after um, the new year, I'm going to have considerably more time, and I'm really uh, excited about that. Now it's going to be more build time. It's going to be more conceiving time and that type of thing. It's going to be not necessarily be shoot time, but what it's going to do is it's going to allow me to go out and do some shooting. So I would say I I really actually would be uh, on shooting. um, Ideally if I built the camera correctly um, and, and it's a a functioning camera, I should be doing, uh, you know, 90% shooting. And 10% building, but I never get that amount of time, you know, I'm mean, never, I'm never, uh, a- able to get that. Um, but then also I, once I start conceiving of the next camera, I often will slow down on shooting with the old camera, you know, uh, because my, my brain will be about the image that I'm going to make with the new camera. And, and so that does kind of get in the way. Um, I've talked about it the the last uh, three or four shows. I have uh, this six by 12 camera that, that I've got going and, um, and I've started shooting with the idea that each image in the camera is a six by six diptych, you know, so um, you know, I have a left half of the frame and a right half of the frame, and so I'm starting to kind of see the world in those diptychs. Okay, so how how can I frame half of it with one subject, half of it with the other subject, and um, and that's starting to be really exciting. So if I go out with a you know a six by six camera, I'm not seeing that, but that's where the way my brain's working. So uh so often i will um uh, i i need to need to be working with a specific camera in order to take the images One, or or i'm starting to conceive the next one and then i i no longer take the images in the same way so so that's uh that would be my my you've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately i've been (laughs) i'm doing a ton of thinking about this so so yeah, absolutely. But that's that's the way I work. So, uh, hey guys, what do you think? Uh, should we start the homemade camera podcast?
2: Yeah, sounds good.
1: Listener to the Homemade Camera Podcast. This next guest needs no introduction. Uh, (laughs) uh, Today we have a very special guest, Brendan Barry, on our show. Um, He is a camera builder and educator and has made a skyscraper camera. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say Brendan Barry is the most whimsical camera maker on the internet Um, and he's all over it too um you can find him on youtube or his own website or other people's websites and blogs all of the time i've known about brendan barry since um i started making cameras and maybe before um i feel like he has been an ever-present friend although we haven't really said anything to each other i i watch his camera builds um Regularly on Instagram as if they were family. Um, <laughs> welcome, Brendan. Thanks for coming on our show.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for your wonderful introduction. Tell
1: <laughs> us. Um, Just- oh, go ahead. Yeah, so maybe we could start out. Um, can you can you tell us about your um, history in photography and and sort of how how you Up until the point where you become a camera builder, unless that's, you know, interlaced uh, through the whole of it.
2: Um, No, there's kind of a bit of a before and after, really. Um, I won't bore you with my whole life story, but I I suppose... I I've always kind of had an interest in photography from when I was really you know really young from a kid my dad gave me my first camera when I was about 11 or 12 an Olympus OM10 and yeah I kind of always had a sort of mild obsession I suppose with it I studied it at college and and university and then worked kind of freelance and doing various bits and bobs over the years Um, and then I went back to study in my kind of early thir- late twenties early thirties and i I did a master 's degree and um around that point i kind of um i established myself as a kind of you know a large format photographer but very much in the kind of um uh heading out into the world I always say to my students there 's there's two types there 's two ways you make interesting photographs you put yourself in front of something interesting like you you know you 're a documentary photographer or a landscape photographer you head out to the world and kind of see what you can find and capture or, or you put interesting things in front of yourself so you kind of maybe work in a studio and you construct things in front of the lens in portraiture still like that kind of thing and obviously there's interesting areas with where, where the two meet um and so I was very much the kind of the former of those two I, I, I spent a lot of time traveling around America and very much inspired by people like Joel Sternfeld and Stephen Shaw and Alex Soth um and that was kind of how I worked for, for for many for a number of years really and and then kind of I think partly I started I started teaching after my degree and, and found sort of less time to sort of set out, set off into the world. And, and I'd always had a kind of fantasy about building my own camera. When I was a kid, I used to make stuff all the time. I was a big fan of the a So I would kind of take old toys and like butcher them and take the motor off one car and put it in some truck and then, yeah, just bash them together and make all sorts of things. And um, so, I yeah, I, I ended up Making a, a camera. My first camera was the 16 by 20 inch camera. Um, I, and the reason I built that, I'd always wanted to make a large format camera because that's what I shot with at the time, 4 by 5 inch camera. But I realised that it'd be way easier to build something bigger because I, I didn't have to be as precise, basically. So I built this big camera and I took it on the road with me. I drove it to Latvia in my camper van. Um, and, and made some work with it. And, but it was because of the size of the camera and the scale of it and having, you know, it wasn't very portable. I ended up having to sort of set up shop in a, in a sort of studio. I found myself in a, Um, an old cabbage store of a basement in a small village in Latvia shooting with this thing and building things in front of the camera so I was suddenly kind of working in that other way where I was having to construct things in front of the camera and place people or objects in front of it and it was a completely different a new way of working for me that was really tough and challenging I'd never really worked like that before so it felt kind of a bit out of my depth but um, just kind of got sucked into that really and then when I came back I just I just sort of thought well if I can make a camera out of wood and various things so well, I don't I try out of other things and so that's when I made a lego camera inspired by another photographer actually uh, Carrie Norton um I sort of saw one that he'd made in a book and and kind of took that and developed that and then and then I think the pineapple came next and then larger and, and I just got sucked in and hooked basically and it was it was just so much fun and um really a lot more playful i could do it you know around work and fitting it into evenings and weekends and and then like the the response i had from people was like people were way more interested in the cameras that i was making than any photograph i'd ever taken so it was quite that feedback was really nice as well Um, and
0: just carried on from there really okay so when you're going around and you're you're taking pictures with the 16 by 20 in latvia Or, or on the way to Latvia. Um, what, so you were doing landscapes, you were doing street portraiture, you're doing what, what type of things are you doing along the lines, um, with that, with that huge camera?
1: And hey, let me butt in for a second. Um, Uh if this is on your website, it's probably good to let our listeners know so they can follow along if you have, you know, reference photos.
2: Yeah, yeah, on the, there's the, all the cameras that I've, I've made as kind of how to, or effectively kind of, yeah, the, the building process on, on the website. Um, well, I, I didn't actually shoot with it on the way because I was still building it on the way. Um, I hadn't actually finished <laughs> it in time. So I had to, I had, to, I had to, I, my toolbox with me and along the route, I was still kind of tweaking it and finishing it off. Um, and I mean, the simple answer is I, I, uh-huh. I hadn't, I had only made one, film holder for it because obviously it was so challenging to work in that scale and the materials right so I'd made this one film holder which took a piece of 16 by 20 inch um paper as I was using um I couldn't afford film and but it wasn't exactly light (laughs) tight um (laughs) so the first time I shot with it I did shoot outside I tested it a few times outside and, and there were leaks coming in everywhere um so as I was kind of tweaking that I the I, first time I tested it out um sort, sort of successfully I suppose outside I shot it um I used it at night and I set up a load of lights um studio lights and pointed them at this tree just photographed this tree just to test it um and, and basically it was um the problem was I sort of load a piece of paper in could, it was really tough to meter with it I had this old like um military aerial lens that was you know it didn't, I couldn't barely see the aperture kind of sizes on it and so I was just sort of doing it by test strips basically so I'd put a piece of paper in yeah. so I put a piece of paper in shoot it and then I'd have to like set up a dark room somewhere nearby so I could go and you know develop the paper in the tray and uh-huh. then come back outside so I did that in this in this building next to where I was shooting and then come back out and then load a piece of paper and it was slow laborious and and slow and of course the paper is so slow so the paper's like f3 and the lens i think was maybe like f9 something like that and those studio lights these weren't very powerful so i found myself like i wasn't really getting a lot um there wasn't a lot registering on the paper so um so i moved inside into this building and as i said found my way into the basement of this old castle and because i figured it'd be way easier to set up (laughs) inside i could turn all the lights off build Mm -hmm. construct something in front of the camera um, and then the back of the camera was fairly light tight, um, you know, with, with just lights going on. I could drape a blanket over it or something. So as long as I was low, it was more the problem of taking the film holder to the camera in the light. So I could turn the lights off, load the paper, put it in the back of the camera, put a dark cloth over it just to make sure, and then fire the lights take the paper out and put it straight into the chemical trays next to me and and develop it. Um, although again, like the problem with the lights was is that because they weren't very powerful, I found myself having to fire them like 60 times (laughs) to get to get a sort of image. Um, but I was just I I was just building random things, just finding junk and just constructing these completely awful. Just I mean, they're terrible. If you look at them. there's just no artistic merit to them at all. But it, as I said before, it was just, just to the camera or the photo to the to the images I was making. I mean, it was just I was just putting crap in front of it, basically. Um, but as I said, it was so much fun. It was such an interesting new way to work. That was completely new to me. Um, and then i started bringing pe- people uh, you know were, were passing through and so i sort of started making some portraits and some group shots and and um and that's really where it kind of came alive for me basically actually it was when i kind of um where people started to kind of get involved and and that's kind of what inspired that experience actually in that basement in latvia is what inspired the caravan camera um and uh and kind of led me on to the way i work now <laughs>
0: Okay, so uh, one of the things that, you know, we talk a lot about is uh, limitations uh, breed the creativity uh, aspect of this. So because you're you're stuck inside in a studio because of the light tightness and and all those types of things, you're starting to work in a way that you weren't working before. Did you start to get really comfortable with that um, because of those limitations? Was there was there a comfort that you got or was there a point where you just kind of said, ah, forget it. I'm going to abandon this. This was a great idea, but it didn't, um, it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. Um, neither of those things. (laughs) Um, so
2: I, 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 no, I I definitely didn't abandon it, but it, 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 it's still not comfortable. I'm still not kind of, um, it's still a really challenging way for me. I mean, I spent, you know, almost, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years working in a particular way and the way that I kind uh-huh. of saw the world and, and um, responded to it and all of the kind of research and the indulging in photography and photography, you know, the different photographers that I'd kind of been inspired by was very much in this kind of, you know, setting off into the world and looking for things. So so the whole notion of constructing something in front of a camera and having an infinite amount of you know, possible arrangements of of, of objects and, and, and an infinite mm-hmm. amount of ways that you can kind of you know compose them in front of the camera. I mm-hmm. I find that really challenging. I have a real struggle with subject matter in many ways, and but it's that's I think part of the kind of excitement in a way because it's like I'm. It's almost like I've kind of um started my you know relationship with photography again in some ways and i'm kind of on a on a on a new path i suppose and i'm a few years okay. in now so confidence is kind of building um but um i think that's what's keeping it exciting for me at this stage yeah.
0: so this came after the the traveling the u.s and taking photos you did a i you've already been on and we should point people to it um the large format uh photography podcast uh that that was the one that you were on right with simon and um and the other guy yeah um,
1: andrew
0: Andrew, there we go who i who's gonna kill me for not remembering his name um now you did uh, a book am i right it was a book of uh motels
2: yes that's right yeah yeah i spent um over
0: a couple of years back
2: in early about 2010 2011 i did a number number of trips around america i didn't i went there the first time i had a flight into washington dc and a flight out of um san francisco six weeks later and i'd planned to hitchhike across america from east to west um, okay
0: not with a 16 by 20 camera no hoping. that was with this a is, four by five inch four by five okay that was what I, kind of where i was going with the question but go on. yeah yeah and um yeah and i
2: uh yeah, it's a, that's a whole other story, but I ended up, I got, I, I found my, I, I managed to get to New Orleans and uh, by hitching and I got a few greyhounds and um, and then, but it was really tough because if you shoot with a large format camera, obviously you need a lot of time and, and freedom and, and control, I suppose. You know, if you're in someone right. else's car or us, it's not, you can't just point the camera out the window and take a shot.
0: Um, or, or say, pull over here, I want to picture that sign. Yeah, and 15 minutes yeah. later, you put your camera set up. Um, <laughs> right. So I ended up, I ended
2: up buying a car off an Australian girl that I met in the street in New Orleans for $300, <laughs> and, um, and that kind of then set. I then drove off, headed out into the west, and uh, and 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 made kind of series of works. And I took a couple of another couple of other trips back where I hired cars, um, but I made a series of images in motel rooms. Just kind of um, a typology of sorts, I suppose, of, of kind of um, yeah, grotty motel rooms. I'd always seek out the kind of grottiest, kind of weirdest, darkest, cheapest ones because they were quite way more photogenic, I suppose. Uh, had a bit more character, um, and made a series of images sort of with the rooms, large format camera. really small aperture so it's really detailed images of the room lit by the tv so they're quite kind of twisted and seedy and and then i worked with a short story writer called jeff parker um who who wrote a series of short stories to kind of accompany the images um and then we published that as a book in um in seattle uh, a couple of years yeah about two years ago now I I,
1: i feel like it's um a great part of the sort of tropic uh, American West, American road trip uh, photos that like everybody is on the road at some point. Right. And like, um, well, well, Brendan, do you know the name of the book that uh, Alex Soap did about like kind of want to say motels in
2: Niagara Falls? Oh, the Niagara book. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a big influence that and sleeping by the Mississippi is kind of yeah. similar really yeah they were huge influences probably too big an influence actually if I look back at the work that I made I to be honest now looking back on it 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 feels I mean you know I was a you know kid of the 80s growing up kind of American road trip movies and I read a lot of kind of American literature and short stories and um and so I was like a kid in the candy store like driving through the states everything was just you know incredible it's really tough to kind of avoid the cliche to, and um and not photograph kind of certain things i did my best but the work that i made there although i'm sort of proud of parts of it, it is a little sort of derivative mm-hmm. of other photographers that, that came before i think if i would stuck at it maybe i could i mean more,
1: the, they're beautiful pictures whether whether i mean irrelevant to me or maybe even more interesting that other photographers have covered you know a similar subject matter i feel like I spent um, maybe five years, six years driving around the country buying and selling cameras, right? And it was kind of the first time that I spent so much time, you know, kind of driving around middle America and staying in motel rooms. I definitely shot a way worse set of photos. <laughs> um, but of, of that same thing, you know, um, of other things too. But I, I feel like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to see everybody's take to me on that subject i've got other friends that um you know have have shot the same subject too i I love those series
0: and and yours are excellent and and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that i mean uh we shoot what we find interesting to our eye and often what we find interesting to our eye is the strange you know the different um and that doesn't you know and other people find that uh that you know similar similar ideas but um you know we we don't uh, originality is overrated quality is much more important uh, yeah than originality. I, I think on the and also for me i mean it was
2: such a rite of passage in a way i mean it was such yeah. a what well, you know i learned so much although obviously i it's hard to sort of join the dots between what i do now and what i did then there was definitely a sort of maybe sort of slightly obsessive nature to kind of responding to to stimuli and what was around me and um and also i don't know it's like yeah it was I, i couldn't not do it in a way it was such a kind of um just such an adventure i mean the stories that i have from those trips yeah. is, uh, is just you know they'll stay with me forever and so I, i'm really sort of proud of, of what i did there and the, and, and the experiences yeah. that i had and um yeah and it's just you know I'll, I'll take those memories to my grave for sure
0: yeah and um and the other thing is your eye is going to be you your eye as a foreigner is going to be different from my eye as a uh, you know an american And, uh, you know, the same way I, if I go to England and shoot, uh, I'm going to shoot stuff that is going to be different from what you're going to shoot. And, uh, and that's, um, you know, like for instance, I'm looking at the series, the broken road series on your website, but by the way, that's brendanberry.co.uk. And if you go to the archive, you get some of these, um, uh, some of these portraits from, Uh, from the u.s and there's a picture uh in a mall food court of a guy (laughs) with a with a um oh it says cheese box cheese boy i read it no it is cheese boy okay yeah yeah. so it's a guy wearing an apron uh it says cheese boy and he seems uh, entirely uninspired and (laughs) the mall itself looks entirely uninspired and you've got him dead center in the photograph maybe a little bit below center but left to right dead center and it's just there's there's a static bit of this that makes me want to crawl out of my skin and it's a fabulous photograph um and and i would never take that picture um i would see this as a place where i would just leave rather than take a picture of it um but yet um you know you, you saw that you saw the uh the um, amazing part of that um without getting up and leaving <laughs> you know I, su- so. I
2: suppose yeah because for for me you know a, a, a shopping mall or a kind of roadside diner you know these they're exotic uh-huh. to some extent you know and and sure. there is this you know you mentioned earlier about the kind of um you know the the, the things that are kind of uh strange but uh, but for, for for a kind of european again being a kind of kid of the 80s growing up with the kind of you know, when there was just so much kind of um, Americana that I kind of either mm-hmm. was forced upon me and, and then you know happily absorbed. There's this kind of more, it's the kind of uncanny nature of it. So it's both, it's strange and familiar. Everywhere I went, it's like oh, I've I've been here. You know, not physically, but in you know, in through... a Sergio Leone movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So there's this kind of strange and familiar nature to everything. It's like I recognize yeah. this. It. It's all so familiar, but at the same time, so bizarre and exotic.
0: It's, it's one of my favorite parts of travel is the, um, the, 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 time when you plan the travel and you have this image and, you know, like you were going to hitchhike across America, um, and it turns out you bought a car, um, you know, it, it's that idea of what you expect versus what the reality is. And mm-hmm. so there's, there are points of familiarity. Hey, I saw this. Hey, I saw that. Hey, I saw that. And then there are points of just absolute. This is not at all what I expected. Um, and and I think I I I feel that in your photographs um, in, in a lot of ways. So um, anyway, um, we should we should maybe move a little bit back towards uh, camera building as you know that is the the name of the podcast. <laughs> so. So okay, so we we talk about um uh you're you're famous or you're infamous I don't know one or the other for a couple of of <laughs> types types of um of cameras um first of all these super large format cameras where you're you're taking a building or a or a caravan or um or a skyscraper and then there are also these other things where you're um uh putting Camera parts on either part of a watermelon or cheese or bread or that type of thing, Um, which actually kind of sounds like a pretty good lunch, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so let's let's talk about how you you work towards both of those kinds of ideas. You've already given us a hint um, about the idea of that 16 by 20 working into uh some of these other larger format things uh but uh, but uh, tell us tell us about how how the watermelon came about
2: how did the watermelon come about um it came about in the same way that i think all of them do really it just um i, I was walking past the fruit and veg shop and saw a watermelon and thought oh i could make a camera out of that um and that's that like I, I often occasionally I sort of sit down and think oh okay what can I what can I make a camera out and think of kind of you know appropriate or easy or like something that lends itself to being transformed or you know into a camera and I, I, I never can it never happens mm-hmm. you know, I can't force it basically it always just happens organically when I kind of see something go oh that'll do um <laughs> so and and the thing is as well I mean it's worth kind of caveating that I mean, some of the cameras that I've made, you know, obviously the first one was kind of pretty much built from scratch, you know, with the exception of the lens. You know, I ground the glass and built the bellows and the front forward, you know, and a kind of movement system and things. But but a lot of the cameras... uh, uh, you know, it's, I'm putting a lens and a, and a ground glass either side of, a, of, a, of, a, of something and cutting a hole through the middle of it, you know, so it's, I'm not, I've never classed myself as a kind of master craftsman or anything like that, um, it's funny on, on a, there's a couple of kind of little features online and, and it's, it's quite amusing to watch some of the people get really irate in the comments when they're like he doesn't know what he's doing and it's like and it's like yeah i know like I'm, i it, like read the article that's what it says like <laughs> i'm i'm playing it's it's for fun it's to engage people it's to kind of you know maybe play with our kind of preconceptions of what what a camera is and what it can do a little bit and and um you know and it, and it's it's just a really fun way of, of spending a day as, as i'm sure both of you and, and most of your listeners who've, who've made a camera know it's um it's just really thrilling to start the morning with a big block of cheese, and in the afternoon, it be able to capture an image, you know. Um, right. So, so that's kind of the, those kind of, um, I suppose, more playful, more whimsical. As um, as Ethan said earlier, um, cameras are very much about just, um, yeah, just amusing people and, and myself, to be quite honest.
0: Um, what what hasn't worked? What hasn't on those those types of things what well, hasn't
2: worked um i they i mean i think they've all worked really um the button squash one that i made because uh, most of them are uh, large format cameras so and and the reason for that is simply um it's way easier like you put a lens at the front and a and a ground glass at the back and you can See the image projecting onto the grass. So you can uh, onto the glass, so you can focus really easily, and then drop in a um, uh, a film holder to you know onto the ground glass, and, and and you're good to go. With the pineapple and with the butternut squash, and maybe one or two of the other ones. Um, there's. Uh, uh it you know you it's it's guesswork basically so i kind of um they're either fit there you know, the pineapple one is fixed focus it's it's actually it's fixed focus my arm's length away from me so it's perfect for selfies um mm-hmm. and and the butternut squash one yeah that wasn't too successful i shot a roll of film with that kind of moving things closer and closer to the object uh, to the to the lens but i i built it too far away so like the subject needed to be about Two inches away from the lens, so it's so it's effectively a, a macro camera, which worked quite well as that actually, but not very um, not very practical for shooting out in the street, for instance.
1: So uh, I, um, you said earlier that you had, um, you had been gaining confidence in in camera making, and and I I have watched, um, you know, in real time over over the last maybe year and a half, two years of you, um, you know, going from sort of fruit to uh, like uh, shipping containers and skyscrapers. Um, what has been different has, has been, um, has finding lenses been a huge challenge for giant cameras? Um, are there other, you know, uh, unexpected or, were interesting features to building cameras that are uh, pretty, you know, gigantic by by normal standards.
2: Um, yeah. So I mean, on the lenses front, um, actually, it's quite i it's quite easy in some ways to pick up the lenses. I, I was I had some real luck early on where I bought a whole range of um old process lenses. Mm. Um, Apo nickel a whole so six hundred, or seven. 60 and 890 and a 1210 uh, for for really really cheap off an auction somewhere that that no one else must have seen it who has any clue what they were because I got them for an absolute steal um so and then and obviously it's old military lenses I've just bought a 40 inch um lens uh that's absolutely huge this thing weighs a tonne but it's uh, it's 5.6, so it's super fast for a lens of that mm-hmm. size. Um, but, but is it? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the lens, it's a challenge. Oh, Me now, it's just just across the room. I'm um, I've,
1: I've been looking a lot of uh, processed lenses and uh, telescope or or airplane telescope lenses of late. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got a whole, I've got oh, dozens of them now because a lot of the sort of Military ones um you can pick up uh you know, again, I get them from auction sites and, and various places. This one I've just got hold of is a um uh ba- ba- and uh, that's
0: that's
2: uh, yeah, Um that's and that's it. yeah, Um that's a one thousand and sixteen millimeter, forty inch um lens, which which is gonna be really handy. I'm gonna put that in the caravan or the container because because that extra couple of stops most of the process lenses are quite they're not that fast basically they're, they're i've been six, buying
1: speedotrons <laughs> speedotrons what's that yeah oh big big power packs like oh i see yeah. Power yeah.
2: packs yeah. for strobes for the same problem yeah. uh, <laughs> but yeah. um but the but the, the the kind of the large the rooms transforming spaces into the ca- uh, into cameras and is it, that's where that's where the more meaningful stuff happens i think to be honest like um and it was i mentioned earlier about being in that basement in in latvia and how and that was the kind of seed of the caravan camera because i thought well if i can have the dark room in the same and the camera in the same space and be one of the same thing then and i build it in a caravan then i'm not stuck in a basement i can i can move around and, and take it places um so so i built so i following summer i think i bought an old caravan for 150 pounds um stripped it out painted it black put a lens in it made a kind of board an old got an old whiteboard um from a classroom that's um magnetic so to hold the paper on put some chemical trays in there and and made a portable giant camera um and it works in exactly the same way as the, the 16 by 20 but just obviously you yeah you could get inside it, effectively. Um, And what happened in there, that was when things got really interesting because I could invite people inside the camera and show them how the image was being formed on the, you know, how the the projected image was sort of projecting... Um, inside the camera and the camera obscura so you could see the outside world coming in and, and you could place the paper there and people could watch the light expose onto the paper when you open the lens and you could put it straight into the tray and people could see the image develop there and then and then you could contact print it into a positive so and it was such an exciting time for me because that's when um uh yeah that kind of working with other people and And, you know, which is an amazing space to teach photography because you can literally see, you know, you can open and close the aperture and you can watch the depth of field as the image increase and decrease as it gets darker and lighter. And so you can kind of get It's a lot easier way to understand those sort of fundamentals of photography that are quite hard to get your head around conceptually at first. Um, And yeah, and that then kind of has just kind of gone on from there into bigger spaces which can fit more people the, the shipping container um one of the kind of motivations to build that was so I could um, I built the front wall um I kind of opened the doors and then built a kind of stud wall on wheels so it, it can it can um, roll back in so it's wheelchair accessible um so I can you know and, and obviously the, the the skyscraper in New York I mean there was dozens Mm and dozens of people there so again they're just really interesting and exciting spaces to 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 teach photography that's one thing but actually the more interesting things happen for me when I'm like collaborating and uh, with other people and or kind of enabling other people to to capture images so working with a group of people and and kind of helping them to create an image you know whether that's a still life or a portrait or a self-portrait so where I become more of an enabler rather than um than, than a teacher and and kind of um um sort of rather than sort of you know for, you know photographer with agency heads out and kind of captures the world it's kind of enabling and kind of encouraging agency and others and allowing other people to kind of fulfill their creative vision and sort of being able to be a part of that is, is really exciting
1: so brendan how
2: how long have you been a, a, a you teach photography as well right Yes. Yeah. I run, um, I'm a lecturer at the local, um, college here in Exeter, um, where I live. Um, has that, has that been going on?
1: Um, have you been teaching before you became a camera builder or, or a whimsical camera builder, uh, (laughs) a fruit and vegetable camera builder, or, um, you know, is, is
2: that, uh, yeah do, do you teach normal photography classes as well yes yeah so i run a a, a a degree a foundation degree um and i used to teach a level which is kind of 16 to 18 year olds basically um and i've been teaching for about six or seven years now um so yes before i um this this journey of kind of making cameras has kind of happened through and alongside um my uh my teaching career basically and and i think what's again been really exciting about working in this way is before when I was working you know heading out into the world of a large format camera there wasn't really a lot of kind of crossover my my personal photographic practice didn't necessarily feed into my teaching practice that much it was you know I had a very sort of particular and sort of relatively limited way of working that um that yeah didn't necessarily kind of feed in and my and my teaching didn't sort of feed into that either it was quite sort of separate whereas obviously now so much of what i do is about um you know with my own work is you know education is such an integral part of my creative practice i suppose as a photographer as an artist so um it's definitely there's definitely a lot of kind of um crossover and sort of some strange symbiotic thing going on still trying to make sense of
0: so i have a question for you on along that same line of uh, so you're the crazy professor who's also doing these, you know, uh, uh crazy, uh, ideas, um, where you're also, you know, I mean, I assume you're also going through, um, okay, the shutter speed, uh, freezes time or lets it move. And you, your aperture gives you a depth of field, you know, you're, you're going through those technical aspects, but you've also got this uh unusual uh bent uh unusual work that you're you're doing uh, how do you find um the interest of the students either peaked or or maybe reduced um uh by this other work that you do
2: um that's a good question
0: um i i suppose i mean
2: some i think any person with a pulse <laughs> who's sighted who steps inside a camera obscura is going to be amazed and dazzled and it's it's just a magical thing it's just and there's something quite primal I think about that I mean that's how we see the world obviously we we do see the world upside down and back to front and it's our brain that flips it the right way around and there's something about the view of in you know when you're inside a camera obscura watching the outside world that's just that's, um, yeah, that's magical. And equally, when you see that image come alive in the tray, um, you know, and there's something as well with younger students who who are more used to kind of experiencing things a lot more immediately, um, sometimes kind of engaging them with with analog photography and the notion of, you know, you shoot a roll of film today and we'll develop it tomorrow and um you know yeah. you have to wait an hour it's like what i could just you know use a digital camera and so but of course with the with a camera obscura and with uh you know when you transform that into a camera it, it is happening there right there in front of you so so at that right. to be honest never fails to kind of to grab people um, and and it even you know whether it's kids whether it's You know, you know, primary school kids or students or adults or you know, or people that have, you know, really, really kind of inside-out knowledge of photography. It just, it never gets boring. I mean, you know, again, watching that picture come alive. You know, I've seen it thousands of times. Every single time I see a print come alive in the tray, it's like as exciting as the time before. You know, um So that kind of that side of it, and I think that's again what's that. There's something quite performative about that. about that whole kind of, um, uh, element of, of, you know, the camera obscura and and, and development of of sort of an analogue print. So that never fails to excite people. I think, um, uh, the thing that really, I'm really interested in, in kind of collaboration and sort of participatory practice. So like working with, you know, various and and more and more diverse groups of people. And so there are, it's always a couple of students who are like, who are into that, you know, beyond the kind Mm -hmm. of, initial spectacle and the magic, you know, which, which will grab people or, or capture their attention. Some get hooked and some are quite happy to go back to shooting or working in, in whichever way they're more comfortable or, or enjoy more, you know, and I'm no purist, you know, I, I appreciate it. And digital photography as, um, as much as anything. It's just, um, you yeah, know, different, different horses for different courses, so to speak. Sure. So
1: sure. What, one of the things I'd like to ask, um, in about uh, 1998, I saw an uh, article in Popular Photography about um, these street photographers in, I think, Cuba, who had like basically what the internet now calls an Afghan box camera or a camera minotero. Um, do, do you know what this is? Yeah, yeah. I, I figured you would. Um, I wonder if you had always been aware of them. It seems like as as your cameras get bigger and bigger, they you know, naturally become also the spaces in which you develop your pictures. Um, and it seems like you, you kind of came to it a little bit differently, like that, that's just the natural course of things getting huge. But I wonder if you've ever built uh, sort of an Afghan box camera type of camera
2: or, um, you know. Uh, yeah not um, no I know no, to be honest I haven't no um I was aware of them um and there's a there's a cool french photographer actually um who uh, whose name um i can't pronounce so but later on i'll I'll get it up and uh, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, I'll make sure I share it because he's doing some cool stuff he's who he has a bit of an afghan um, camera and and a friend of mine actually has has made one as well um but no i'd never I, I've sort of, one of those things that I was sort of was tempted to do, but I know a couple of other people who who have made them and used them and do them you know re, you know work with them in really interesting ways and um and I suppose I think to be yeah really simply i just I really like being able to get inside the camera and and as importantly invite other people in um so the kind of so building an afghan camera unless there was like a load of borrowers and tiny people it's not necessarily <laughs> on the cards for me but no i i mean they're fascinating things and again i know a few people that work with them and some really and it, and it is that again it's that performative thing the spectacle you know being able to you know, especially when they're built really beautifully like kind of traditional ones are um they, you know, when you see people working with them, it never sort of fails to to bring a crowd. I mean, that was when I used to shoot with a four by five inch camera. That was, you know, that in itself was was a bit of a spectacle, would draw people over. And but when, of course, you've got something that's you know, that much bigger and ornate and kind of bringing you know pictures
0: coming out of it straight there and then. Um, yeah, I think they're fascinating things. We have seen, um, at least on your Instagram feed, uh, working with direct color positives um can you tell us about the process that you're using or uh walk us through that that type of idea ethan's also working on that and uh i have a box of color paper that's in my closet uh that's that it's ready over the christmas break to be to be uh explored in that uh manner
2: yeah so this is i'm really really excited by this actually um I was always aware that you could, that I could shoot color in the same way. So, you know, with nine times out, well, almost exclusively, exclusively with the large, the room cameras, the the the, the kind of um, spaces that you can get inside. Simply, um, I shoot with um, normal black and white paper, negative paper, and a Harman Direct positive paper. Um, and uh and i'd always yeah that's just what i've worked with because it's accessible it's relatively cheapish um certainly a lot cheaper than film um (laughs) and and it's got lots you know it's pretty easy to work it's the the you know the negative paper as well you've got so much to play with there and you can pull stuff back in the print stuff so it's you could be quite you know um just quite experimental with it basically but then so i'd always sort of realized that i could do the same with color but of course the, the challenge of um balancing that color um so you could shoot i could shoot a paper negative color <laughs> you need down. a
1: boatload of filters
2: exactly yeah and yeah. and they would have to be and the challenge of course would be uh, and the other thing i was aware of as well is the sort of chemistry and having and where that needed to be at certain temperatures and kind of doing that in, in a sort of often usually unventilated space and um so it was just something that was like it just it seemed a little bit although I do love convoluted and complicated processes, it was just something that kind of, um, yeah, I, I just I suppose I hadn't got round to taking on that challenge yet. I probably would have done eventually. Um, and then I discovered this reverse uh, RA4 reversal process. I think I just saw like a little video on, on Instagram or online somewhere of an image, mm-hmm. of black and white negative. I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> appear, appearing in, in like-
1: It sent me on a quest
2: transferring into transforming into um a black and white negative image being in a tray of chemicals and turning into a positive color image in daylight um and obviously for a photographer who's interested in analog photography that's like can i swear on this yeah yeah it's like what the fuck is happening there um (laughs) it was like what and um and when i interestingly enough when i did the first when i i sort of you know successfully tried it myself the first time and i showed a couple of my friends who are photographers they were like what that what is happening how is that happening and then i showed it to a friend of mine who's not a photographer and uh he was like what is, is, yeah what's happening it's just a picture yes yeah, it's just a darkroom thing right and it's just it was it hadn't, didn't the magic wasn't wasn't there yeah, yeah. um so it's definitely a kind of um, slightly nerdy photography thing, but that again, that image, that that you know, the, I think the videos of that happening is, is way more interesting. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, the so yeah, it's um, it's a really simple process. You you shoot color paper, um, and you um shoot that in camera, and then you which creates a kind of and then you develop that in black and white developer in the dark and then stop it in the dark and then you put it through uh you make a second exposure to light basically and then put it through normal ra4 chemistry and you get a direct positive picture um you still would need to filter you need to filter the light coming into the lens um uh by using yeah different color filters on the lens to get the color balance right but um yeah it's just it's just a really exciting development and i've just found a place where i can get giant rolls of color paper so the next step is to do some of these um on a, on a pretty on a large large scale basically so i i've been uh
1: tinkering around with this as well i have you know a bunch of issues mainly that uh you know by the time i filter uh back to a reasonable white balance um you know maybe the paper's iso 10 <laughs> it gets to be like uh i don't know ISO two if you factor in, you know, the filters or ISO one. Um how are you dealing with that?
2: Um I bought a lot of strobes. <laughs> well I've been buying not too bad. I think the I've tried it out the stuff that I've been doing inside was with the ten eight camera. Um and with which had it was just relatively fast, that's a five point six. I tried it out on the caravan um with some large 20 by 24 inch paper um and that was quite a long exposure that might have been like eight seconds or something like that so um i'm not yeah i'm not i don't have too. it's not going i'm not losing too too much actually i'm using I, what, what filters are you using um some so i have like a bunch of like
1: a ziploc gallon bag full of uh, kodak ratten filters and i had um some combination of, you know, um, dark reds or, or sort of, um, what do you say? Uh, 85 B warming filters. And then I'd throw in like a couple of yellows. I need deeper filters than those ratten filters for what I'm doing. Uh, so I don't have so many like layers and also they don't fit. They're only like what four by four or smaller. They don't really fit over my, all of my lenses. And um, my buddy Joe sometimes uses, uh, like, black and white contrast filters, like two double zeros and a zero or something like that. Um, They're big enough, but they don't have small enough gradations to quite get there.
2: Um, I've been using uh, Cibachrome filters. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think the last ones I shot, which were pretty close, was... Uh, two thirties and a forty, no I think the ones I did before, I usually only had like two of each I think I had about a hundred yellow and about eighty magenta or something like that, And so it was two, two yeah, fifties, yeah, yeah, yellows yeah, yeah. and like a fifty and a twenty, so it's not it, you lose a, a couple of stops well, for sure, so but.
1: this this is what I, I've been thinking about it is like everybody, I put up a uh, like a short instructional video on how to do something like this and everybody seems to be like in search of what are what are the color filters to use, like like some recipe. But the thing is, like to get color balance, you have to get the color balance perfect, regardless of your light, right? And so maybe in daylight without heavy clouds, it's all the same. But all the tungstens, all the all the fluorescents, you know, unless you have super calibrated lights. But I'm just saying, like uh, all of my old flash tubes. You know, even depending upon how you mix, the flash tubes might require some extra color balancing, you know, and I, I feel like it's, um, yeah, it's tough. I, I've got uh, out in the shop like a keychain with all of these samples for different color gels, I think oh man, I should probably order a bunch of like uh, one foot square gels and try and uh, just match whatever I'm shooting on that day with like basically a test strip like you were doing.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing to remember as well is that it's like, um, I mean, it's a pretty kind of, again, convoluted and and alternative and and not exactly precise. Uh, I have to remind myself quite often to be like, well, just, that's fine i mean it's it's you know if i wanted to create you know perfectly balanced and high resolution images then then there's probably more effective ways to do it but i would that's a constant kind of reminder to myself the kind of it's the new
1: alternative process that's taking instagram by storm
2: (laughs) thanks mike
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah One of the issues I've been dealing with is um, not only that, you know, the filtration doesn't just change based on lighting source. It also changes on like the base filtration of the paper and the type of chemistry and temperature of the chemistry that you're using.
2: And how old the chemicals are.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I get shifts. And so it's, it's kind of like Baker's intuition. I feel like getting good color balance. Um, I'm not perfect at it yet but I feel like I'm I'm getting there. But one thing that's been bugging me is I've been getting like um I'm not sure if it's just huge grain structure or uh some sort of reticulation or it's it's kind of like a pattern in the middle like
2: a mottling. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's like mostly in what's in out of focus. Yeah. And
2: um yeah, the what's up with that? What's like that. so? i it's as far as I know. It's just a uh, quirk of the process. Like it's um, occupational hazard. Like uh, when I first, I, I went again after I saw that first video, I was like, what the hell is that? I need to, I need to find out what's happening. And I did a kind of, it took me a couple of months of kind of googling and going through forums, and I found a couple of really helpful people who sort of pointed me in the right direction, and um, and that just seemed to be something that was just it just happens i i, I never sort of found out exactly why or what's happening there and that that i think so
1: a, a, yeah i'm not really sure i i've done a few experiments and also been on the forums um i think some people have suggested a, a different concentration of dectol i have tried that you know i've used it at uh stock and two to one and that doesn't really do it um temperature has been suggested i've noticed that i can see the pattern in the black and white negative first step after i fix it right so it could be happening in the fixer because i'm doing it in complete dark up until that point but it's probably happening in the developer and so maybe uh, other developers would not cause the grains to form that Mm. larger quickly or i don't even know if that's what's happening maybe it's a base is reticulating in the acid um like the you know the film base is sort of bunching up um i don't know it it makes me think that uh the best use of this process if i can't figure out how to fix that is uh larger and larger cameras right (laughs) where that pattern matters less and less
2: yeah absolutely yeah that's um yeah i think um yeah that's one for the more kind of chemistry scientific um but uh, people, I, I tend to get kind of a bit, I, every now and then I come across those kind of problems and I'll maybe seek someone out. I used to sort of spend quite a lot of time on forums asking people questions and and I, I tend not to anymore just because often the answers would confuse me more than, the, than my questions when I went into it. So I tend to just to sort of, everything I tend to work out now through trial and error. And, and, and there's some really helpful people I must say that sort of, again, that sort of advise me with that particular process and others on the way. But sometimes I find on the forums, I get these amazing, like knowledgeable and like kind of generous people just yes. sharing <laughs> this incredible amount of information. And I'm like, oh no, I don't understand half of that. I'm more confused. Um, and it's like, and now I now have 20 more questions and it's like an endless cycle. And so sometimes I find it's more I'm, I'm sometimes healthier to sort of stay away. And as I said, it's you know it's it's all kind of so generous of people to share all that stuff. I mean, I'm eternally grateful for all the all the help and advice I've been given along the way. But um, yeah, I think for my own sanity, I have to sort of stay away because I just want to work everything out and find out the answer to everything. And then it's like you get loads of questions that posed back to you, or or answers that make yourself pose more questions it's um it's a bit of a never-ending kind of cycle
0: basically so what what's next what's uh next on your your horizon uh what projects do you have in the back of your mind um uh, for moving on um oh so yeah all sorts really um
2: i'm actually um gonna dedicate some more time next year in the new year to um to my own practice um and and the more and some of the bigger kind of community-based um and kind of collaborative projects that i've been working on like the shipping container project like the new york project um i do a lot of work with sort of local community groups and different you know from all sorts of different backgrounds and, and workshops and different things which i'm i'm you know looking to, forward to doing a bit more of but um in terms of camera making um i'm setting up a new studio we're moving into a new studio space in the new year and i'm going to build a the plan is to build a kind of shipping container sized camera indoors. It's quite a large space on wheels that I can kind of move around. I um, want to experiment with some, uh, some larger color stuff. Um, and also, some, I'm interested in maybe doing some sort of video work there as well. There's something about those videos of the images coming alive that's um, that's quite interesting. But that's kind of maybe a bit further in the future. Um, I, the, I'd like to do some more work um, like with the skyscraper project that i did in new york um right but back here in england there's um there's a few kind of uh, high rises and buildings in london that i'd like to i'm um, you know trying to get kind of access to and and would and hope to work with um there's a couple of charities in london one or two that i've worked with before that work with um with kids from dis- disadvantaged neighborhoods and, and, and in the city and council estates and i'd like to kind of gather a team um, uh, of 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 young adults or people who can kind of come and take over, you know, a space, and are quite interested in how, you know, the difference between say photographing in a, a tower block or a council flat into the city, and then but then trying to get access to one of the kind of big fancy office block skyscraper kind of buildings in London, and photograph right. out. And, um, uh, interesting project. Um, and I've got I've got this kind of dream concept project idea that is probably a few years ahead, but I've, I've kind of designed or kind of envisaged a, it's like a giant floating geodesic dome that's cut clad in mirrored aluminium hanging in a forest with multiple lenses around it. So like a kind of giant hanging rotating mirrored dome a disco
0: ball of photography Uh, exactly yeah
2: a giant disco ball hanging in the woods that you can climb inside there's a giant camera that takes panoramic pictures
0: okay i i I was envisioning it i wasn't envisioning the idea that you could climb inside and and maybe see i'm just thinking about you know my brain just kind of went on a whirl with that uh one you, you know uh one of the places kids always stop in a park is if there's, like, a, a rope bridge or a uh, or a suspension bridge where they can jump up and down and, and move it. If they can move the the disco ball <laughs> a little bit, you know, just a little bit, you know, like moving back and forth and, hey, you know, the image changes, then they have some ownership on that image. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and that's just oh, that that sounds yeah that sounds very interesting yeah I want one of those <laughs> <laughs> right. <too>. Right. <laughs> exactly exactly then, but I want it, uh, I want it to be a gerbil gerbil ball <laughs> uh, and you know out on a lake or something you know so I can see into the water and up to the sky uh, anyway uh what a great idea what a fabulous yeah this, uh,
2: and then I've also got and then, um, one that I'm working on probably not this next summer but hopefully the summer after is um double decker bus Um, oh so it's kind of combining the ship caravan and the sort of kind of cross between the shipping container and the caravan um so the idea would be um yeah have a sort of lenses pointing out in all sorts of different directions the ground floor and the top floor but then have a kind of a space that could be um transformed into a kind of classroom or a gallery or a studio space and you could have a kind of the idea as well as to sort of build a wall on the inside so you could photograph outside or photograph back into the space inside if it's raining or it's night time lights and then sort of take that round different kind of um yeah different places and communities and stuff and photograph of that
0: um
2: and a boat i'd love to make a boat camera one day
0: Uh, (laughs) ah yeah (laughs) so so the, uh, the double-decker bus very much reminds me of Heather O'Klaus's, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, are you familiar with hers? She I uh, am, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's been on her show. She's, um, uh, she's a hoot, for one thing. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like that idea. Um. And I'm getting a whole bunch of stuff come in. Um. So, yeah, okay, sounds like you've got a ton of stuff for the next several years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I my web cut out. That's so cool. Yeah. So, Ethan, what have you been doing
1: lately? Um, So I've been printing that panoramic camera, so I have some to show on uh, my Kickstarter video for it. Um, But while I was doing that, I've been doing a lot of work um, on sliding box cameras and lenses. And um, really all of this is about, you know, so we were... Um, I don't know, Brendan, if you know about it, but um, we've been working on this Afghan box camera challenge for a while. And I made this um, little pinhole camera that, that is self-developing. So it's like, it's basically just a pinhole in a developing tank, uh, but you can swap the pinhole for a light baffle. Yeah, anyway, I've been
2: following that. Yeah, it looks great.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not my favorite camera that I want to make a lot of work with, but it's a great demo and, and some people are making some cool things with it, which is great. Um, but... More recently, you know, I I think like the ultimate goal of the Afghan box camera challenge for me is to make uh, like a a photo booth, (laughs) like an analog photo booth, but like all of the pieces of that. So like paper processors and maybe even film processors one day. But right now I've been working on um, because of the color paper process, which is what I want to use, has that uh, grain Pattern, whatever it is, I, I would like to shoot it huge. So, um, I did the calculations for a twenty by twenty-four box camera, and there would be something like seventy pounds, or um, yeah, seventy pounds of liquid in it. So I didn't really think I could put a <laughs> tripod or you know mount even with a couple tripods. It might have to have like four tripods to be its own bench. And I want to move it around. Anyway, I came up with this idea of making a um, film holder that is also a developing tray Um, so i laser cut a bunch of acrylic and i made an eight so i I built an eight by ten box camera which i think will be available on the website soon as a self you know diy kit um but basically just so i could test this thing um and it's it's a laser cut acrylic um, film holder but it's thicker than a film holder so you have to use a shim on your um, ground glass so like, it's maybe 35 millimeters or, or maybe an inch and a half uh, thicker than your normal um, film holder would be from the back of the camera, that flange. Um, and so you just put a, a shim in front of your ground glass. Anyway, that allows me to um, put a light baffle on the top corner of it, and then you can pour in chemistry, but light can't go in. So I've been you know, shooting them, pouring in the developer pouring it out, pouring in the stop, and then I can take the funnel off of the light baffle and then pull out the um, pull out the dark slide so that you can do the color developer steps in the light. Um, in fact, you need to defog the paper, but um, it's also fun for crowds. Um, yeah, so I've been working on that. It's not quite done yet. I had a whole uh, time figuring out what were good plastics to create springs to, uh, keep a light trap for the, uh, dark slide, you know, in place. I think I finally got that, but it's still, you know, so it's working. I've made a lot of prints with it, but, um, it broke and, you know, it's, it's kind of like a durability thing. I got to do a little bit more engineering on the thing before it's like a sellable product, but. So, yeah, I made so right.
0: So right now it's laser cut from uh, acrylic? Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, I, I just okay. got black
1: acrylic, and then it's uh, acrylic welded together. And,
0: and that's uh, fully opaque? Black acrylic yes. fully opaque? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, Brandon, what have you been doing lately? Um, What have I been doing lately? Um,
2: making some new cameras. Uh. <laughs> Um, I suppose, because I, other thing that I'm kind of working on, um, so I, I have a community interest company called Positive Light Projects um, that I run uh, workshops and kind of fun, uh, events under as well. I did a, I ran a project last summer called the Dartmoor Summer School of Photography, um, which is where I kind of, it was a kind of residency um immersive kind of um, week up on Dartmoor so National Park where, where I live um, for a group of participants to come. And, and we had a whole series of kind of, you know, analog photography workshops and and other kind of more kind of conceptual kind of based um, uh, ways of working in the landscape. And so I'm just sort of planning and curating and organizing um, next year's event for that um and just bits of teaching i suppose uh, working on this studio space that i i mentioned earlier and and the plan with that it's uh, just securing hopefully if all goes to plan this um it's a sort of half derelict office block um near where I live um but I'm trying to get a lease on basically and going to turn that into kind of um, artist studios so have a number of different spaces there and build set up a dark room and a photography studio but then have different spaces that other artists and photographers can can come and work um with a focus on kind of collaborative practice and community-based um projects and um yeah just kind of um just trying to Raise my daughter. I've got a little one-year-old daughter, so that takes up quite a lot of time at the moment as well. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, it's obviously kind of a quiet time now. This time of year is challenging when working with things like the caravan, the shipping container, and, and kind of camera obscurers that look out onto the outside world because, you know, it's low light. And as we know with the with the paper and the slow lenses, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of tricky to work with. But, yeah, just experimenting with that colour stuff, trying to save up for some big rolls of the paper, um, Buying lots of lenses and, and gathering parts for, for new cameras. Hey, so, have you? Oh, go ahead.
1: Have you looked into building any lenses?
2: I've yes and no. I've it's something that's kind of has peaked my has kind of peaked my interest at, at times. It's it's one of those things that I kind of I feel I should do. I really, I obviously want to do as well, but it's like every almost every other part of the process. Um, I've kind of had a go at now in some way or another. But do you mean kind of like grinding down the glass? And Well,
1: so I've been playing around with this um, a little bit lately. So, you know, we have tools today like ZMAX um, and, and sort of optical drafting and design software, kind of like you would use SolidWorks or whatever. But the problem with that is, you know, you can look up a Zeiss Planar patent, for example, and they'll tell you what the curvatures of the elements and the the indices of refraction. And like, you can get those curvatures, but you can't necessarily get lenses or lens blanks in those indices of refraction. Um, and so, I I think, um, if, you know, if you're not going to open up like a giant, uh, lens factory or, Um, Maybe get real clever and build some Arduino based lens grinding and polishing machines, or maybe you can get a used one from like a optician, you know, um, going out of business or something like that. But I I was thinking that there are some designs that are inherently symmetrical, which means that you can um, buy off the shelf lens parts and they are. roughly reasonable um to make things like you know uh periscope or uh rapid rectilinear lenses i'd like to play with like some more complicated things like double gauss lenses but i've I've only made a couple and ordered a whole lot of um lenses from china to start playing around but um yeah I, i i don't know about grinding lenses but um
2: have you have you had a tinker with what you can find on the internet? I've looked around, yeah, and it's it's again, it was it's like oh, this is a whole kind of worm that could just lead me <laughs> yeah. into a bit of a tunnel for a while. I've, I've made a um, mechanical iris, so I kind of one of the when I build the um, when I work with a group of people and transform a space into a camera, uh, or I'm in the container or the caravan anything like that. I always um I always bring with me a magnifying glass. Um, and uh, and I've got one of those like spaghetti um measurers. You've seen them, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, which is, which is quite a fun little mini sort of aperture thing. And um 'cause because I always sort of try and share with people, and whether that's I'm talking about the stuff that I do or actually working with people that um, you know, when we're building a camera obscura, like the only things that I use that are maybe not so accessible to, to, to your average person as, as some of the lenses, because they're, you know, relatively hard to find. and could be quite expensive. Um, so I always put a magnifying glass, like from a, you know, pound lens, you know, so it costs like a pound for a magnifying glass and put that in the window um, and then, you know, hold the screen up or make a picture with that. Um, and then just just you know, make it really clear to people that, you know, this gaffer tape, cardboard, uh, magnifying glass, some photographic paper and some chemicals and you can you know build your own camera obscura stroke camera thing and um so i but and then i so i made a i bought like a six inch magnifying glass and made a mechanical iris that sort of brass leaves that kind of opens and closes which is just really satisfying to operate uh, but that's as close as i've got just yet yeah, using a, a crappy magnifying glass and making my own app uh, making my own um mechanical iris for it but no what you were just describing there is it's like it's my part of my brain is going oh my god I want to do that and the other half is going stay away stay away yeah that's how I've felt about <laughs> it
1: for a long long time but I had a, a day hanging out with my friend Joe and we were supposed to try and figure out some sort of base filtration for the sun in the in the color process and it was just like a cloudy shitty day and i had some lenses sitting around uh (laughs) and uh yeah i've shot enough to have like um what would you say like enough success to now now it's over like i i've got to get eaten by this wormhole on the internet right now um (laughs) but i don't know if it's enough success that i could call it like a success publicly brendan is there anything we forgot to ask you
2: um is there anything you forgot to ask me no i think um i think we've covered quite a lot of stuff yeah no i think um (laughs) um, um no no i think um i think i've rambled on enough about the strange things that i do with photography
1: okay so where can people find you on the internet
2: uh so i have a website that's got kind of most of my sort of larger projects and, and all the, I, as I've said before, like I really love sort of sharing the processes and stuff that I do. So on my website, most of the kind of um, cameras that I've made, whether they be sort of objects transformed or big spaces, there's, there's sort of galleries of, and lots of behind the scenes pictures that like, um, should should show a fair bit of the kind of the process and the mechanics of them. If anyone's interested in, in repeating any of those um, types of things. Um, and then my, uh, my website's brendanbarry.co.uk. Uh, and then my Instagram, which is the more kind of, which I kind of share what I'm developing and working on. And, and it's great. It's stuff. one of my favorite Instagrams of all time. <laughs> oh, thank you. For it's real. really kind of you to say. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah that's got some of the colour stuff's on there and um there's some I did this really cool uh workshop recently at uh the the museum uh, Royal Albert Memorial Museum where I live um with this big uh cardboard camera so it's like a giant cardboard box built out of loads of smaller cardboard boxes you can get inside <laughs> and was working with a group of young carers so these are kind of um 14 to 19 year olds who, who care for a family member and we had access to the handling collection of the um some of the um uh, ephemera from the from the museum we got hold of all these kind of strange taxidermy animals and old masks and kind of tools and various things like that and we're building these kind of mad sculptures and and there's a couple of um of those that uh that that, that was a really interesting kind of workshop but it sparked a little project that I want to kind of develop which is I'm hoping to work with the museum a bit more to to get access to a bit more of their um some of their kind of um their, their collection their objects because one of the things um that's great about working with the these large cameras is that with some of the larger lenses that I've got they project these huge huge image circles so the stuff I was doing in New York for instance there eight by four foot um uh paper negatives um that are then contact printed into a positive they they were using the um uh the apo nickel twelve ten millimeter lens which gives a huge image circle but even on those prints you can kind of see the vignette at the edge of the frame coming in but i've just um <laughs> got hold of a um the uh 70 inch uh go apo atar lens oh wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: i bet i've, been, I've this the first time i've mentioned it to anyone actually i haven't had haven't, haven't a chance to use it yet but um that's that's a 1700 millimeter lens yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> this thing is oh, it's, it's I've been searching for there's there's like three lenses that I know of about there that are about that size there's an Apo nickel 80 17 an 1800 and I think there's a Apo Rona 1780 or something like that there's a, and then the 70 inch goers i tell that, uh, um that are of that sort of size and um so I'm really looking forward to using that and taking some of these sort of objects and shooting them on the direct positive paper i made a couple of pictures last summer actually i think they're on my instagram somewhere of this sort of um uh some just just strange especially a a kind of radio transmitter from an old b-52 bomber it looks like this incredible contraption (laughs) of wires cylinders and all sorts of things coming out of it but it's about a kind of 18 inch high sort of square, you know, rectangular kind of object basically. But I, I photographed that onto the direct positive paper um, and the print was, I think, was it about 60, 70 by 50 inches, 70 by 40 inches, something like that. But because, the, because it's onto the direct positive paper with a process lens, there's no enlargement, obviously. So the detail that you can see in the print is way more than you can see with the human eye so it's like an infinite amount of macro pictures in some ways i don't have been able to articulate it that well you kind of need to see it to believe it but you're taking something that you know is it's you know, I don't know uh, yeah say a foot high and then blowing it up kind of six seven eight times the size of it that it is um in scale and and yeah the detail that you can see in the print is just the same yeah on the harman stuff yeah. and, um there's something quite interesting i think about like I said, using a kind of museum collection where you're taking an object and then photographing it and revealing more in the photograph than you can see with the human eye, um, which is obviously is what macro photography does. But this is kind of it's not macro because it's not isolating a part of something or seeing or something that's microscopic that, that you're kind of making bigger. It's something that you can kind of see, but then presenting it in this kind of you know gigantic scale with a detail that's kind of Almost incomprehensible, as yeah. So that's one thing I'm kind of excited about working on as well, actually. So be forward. Cool. So Ethan,
1: how do people get a hold of you? Oh, you can find me at cameraactal or at cameradactyl on Instagram.
0: Or Ethan at homemade dot uh, He doesn't like to acknowledge that he I has think, a. I don't think I get emails. You do. There. You I do. I... I sent you. I sent you the password. You've got that. Um. You can also get a hold of Nick. We were hoping he was going to be able to drop in at the end of this, uh, but apparently um, he was unable to do that. Uh, he had an unavoidable appointment today, so uh, he'll be back in our next episode. Uh, you can get a hold of Nick, Nick at HomemadeCamera.com. He's Nick A-V-Y-N-I-C-K on Instagram. He is just Nick Lyle on uh, Flickr, uh, you can get a hold of me, Graham at Homemade Camera. You can also uh, find my Instagram, Graham Homemade Camera. And uh, my Flickr is Freezer of Photons. And we want to say thank you to Robbie Cribbs. Thank you for uh, letting us use the music, for composing the music, and letting us u- use the music that we use throughout this podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie.